Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. We have a bunch of people that are coming in. So, man, if you could scoot over to the sides and and let them get in and into the middle and all that stuff. Or, hey, wave and say, hey, I got two seats here. I got a couple seats here. It's uh, more people. We have enough seats. We just got to make room for them. So, like, say, hey, come on in. It's all cool. Hey, today we are beginning a very important series in your life. Matter of fact, this series will, um, your adherence to this series and response to this series will literally determine the outcome of your life. That's a pretty big deal. But before we dive into it, we also are at the beginning of the year where we are launching our Unshakable Initiative. And some of you who are new today, you're not uh, familiar with that. But last year, this congregation for 40 days prayed and we fasted and we asked God to give us direction for where he wanted us to go in these next couple years. And he gave us a clear sense of direction, something very unique as a church. And we gathered together at the end of the year collectively with our generosity to fund this initiative called Unshakable, where we're basically learning how to love people better. We're going to simply wrap God's family around each other here at Westside and also out there because we believe that people need healing and that healing comes through Christ. Can I get an amen? And one of our initiatives of many initiatives that we have funded and are putting together is to uh, mobilize the 12,000 or so Westsiders into smaller communities around where you live, particularly around elementary school areas, whether you have elementary school kids or not, around that geography. And we want to honeycomb these area communities, Westsiders who are living on mission in that space uh, all over uh, Kansas City. And today we are launching our very first one and it is called the Prairie Ridge Area Community for people who live in the area of Prairie Ridge. If you had children or do have children who would go to Prairie Ridge Elementary School, that is the community that we are inviting you to. And so in the South Sanctuary, this is the North Sanctuary, the South Sanctuary, well, is to the South. Yeah, you wonder how we got that name, right? And uh, those folks are in that room right now. And when we go there, I want us to give them a big round of applause. They are our first ones to launch. Are you ready to go? We're going to go there right now. Here we go. There we are. Let's give it up for the Prairie Ridge area community. Amen. That is so exciting. This is the first. There they are. Here we are. Yeah, Brad, uh, super excited. Brad's our next step pastor. Brad, what are you excited about? You know, first and foremost, Prairie Ridge Area Community wants to give a big shout out to all of you over in the North Sanctuary. Those of you joining us online and at our Speedway campus, Unshakable Love gave us a calling to mobilize every Westsider for community. And the Prairie Ridge Area Community is the first community that will launch, but not only one. We'll be launching many this year, so look forward to us coming to a community near you soon. But love shows up, and we feel the love in this room this morning. But what we're most excited about, Randy, is the transformational growth and the meaningful service that will take place as we wrap God's family around every family in the Prairie Ridge area. So God bless all of you. Thank you for your support. And Randy, Westside and Prairie Ridge, Let's do this. Yeah, way to go, Brad. Okay, that's fantastic. Hey, let's go back to the south room again. Can we go back there? Yeah, I want to hear, uh, hey, you guys at Prairie Ridge, are you excited to be the first? Yeah. That is pretty exciting. Okay, so now what I want you to do here in the North Sanctuary, I want you to extend a hand to the south. Uh, if you are in Speedway, uh, just wherever south is for you, push your hand there. If you're watching online and you're north 
of Kansas City, put your hand south. If you're south of Kansas City, put your hand north, okay? <laughs> so that's clear as mud. Here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we extend a hand uh, to these brothers and sisters who are the first, the first that are stepping out to form an army under your name to be hands and feet of Jesus to each other and also to those in the houses in between. We ask your blessing upon them and may their tribe increase. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and everyone shouted, amen, amen. amen. Okay, let's dive in. If uh, you are uh, one who has not yet downloaded the Westside Family Church app, you're gonna need to do that. If you have done it, I need you to open up the gathering notes for today's message because we have an enormous amount to cover today as we begin the series. This is a four-week series, and uh, it is a series that is so important that we've identified it as one of the seven top values that drives all of the decisions of Westside Family Church. And that value is this. We're gonna put it on the screen. I'm gonna invite you to say it out loud with me. Are you ready? Here we go, ready? God's word, we live and die by. One more time. God's word, we live and die by. Now, that is a very hefty request that we would be so uh, crazy to actually live our lives and be willing to die by the very teachings of the word of God. Uh, every morning, I kid you not, uh, I say a prayer of declaration. It goes like this. I believe the Bible is the word of God and has the right to command my belief and action. Now that means that it is my desire to submit the authority of my life under God's word and to follow it even when I don't understand it fully or I don't like it, okay? That's a pretty big deal. Now, the only reason you would want to make such a crazy commitment to give up the authority of your life for an ancient book is that you believe it is the very word of God and that the one behind it, this God, loves you and number three, that he has the best pathway for you to live your best possible life. I believe that, and I make that declaration. A couple of passages of scripture that come to mind, a famous one, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Feast your eyes on this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in some of your ways. Oh, I'm sorry. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Another famous passage of scripture to be memorized and declared. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. See if this is not the outcome of the life that you want. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey most of the, oh, I'm sorry, everything that is written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. I want that. But now time for confession. Even though I make that prayer daily, I find myself struggling to be completely uh, all in with God's word. I find myself struggling immensely, but it is my aspiration, it is my desire to get there. And every time I trust in God's word, it leads me to a better place. So therefore, the only way that you would ever dare to submit the authority of your life over to this ancient book is that you too believe it is the very word of God. 
and that this God loves you and has the best plan for your life, that you cannot possibly see all the decisions that you need to make, what are best for you, but God's word has that covered for you. So in this series, to try to get you to a place where you'll have greater confidence that the Bible is the word of God, we're going to lay out uh, four weeks. In the first week, we're going to answer the question, where did the Bible come from? You know, if you're gonna trust your life on this book, you should be able to have some idea of where it came from, right? Where did it come from? Number two, is it reliable? What is the evidence that this is a reliable book, that this is God's word? Number three, we're going to present a case study. We're going to take a sticky cultural issue today, an issue that the world, the majority of people believe this, including Christians. But the Bible has a different idea about this issue, and we're gonna present it to you and ask, are you going to go against the grain of the culture, including many Christians, or are you going to stand out and trust in the word of God? Woo, you're not gonna wanna miss that Sunday. The last week, we're gonna do case study number two, and we're gonna bring in a friend of mine who's had to uh, live out the word of God in very difficult circumstances. She's a good friend of Roseanne and I. Her name is Cheryl Ladd, and uh, you might remember her from, yeah, Charlie's Angels, yeah. And she'll be here on stage uh, on that fourth week. It's one thing to live out the Word of God courageously in Kansas. It's another thing altogether to live it out courageously in Hollywood. And she's going to tell about where she succeeded and where she also struggled. And I think that will really help us as we wrap up the series. Now, here's the thing. I want you to not just to listen to the information. A lot's going to be coming at you. I want you to make a visceral decision on where you're actually at. And at each service, we're going to give you the opportunity to respond with your feet and make a declaration with your mind on where you are actually at. We're going to give you three choices. The first choice is simply called uh, my way. My way. I'll do it my way. I'm not buying into the Bible or yielding my life to it. Okay? The second option we're going to give you is called buffet Christian. Okay? I'm going to stay in authority over my life and pick and choose from the Bible what I like. This is where the majority of us are at. We're in buffet. Okay? And then the last one is where I am aspiring to. It is all in Christian. I'm turning authority of my life over to God and committing to following him fully according to his word. Okay? Now, with your Westside Family Church app opened up to the gathering notes for today, we're going to answer the question this morning, where did the Bible come from? Now, the very first thing you need to know is that the Bible did not fall out of heaven in a leather cover. That's not where, you can go back to heaven now. Go back to heaven, go back to heaven. (laughs) That's not where the Bible came from. Maybe some of you did or did not know that. The real truth is the Bible came to us through a five-fold process. And I don't only want to teach you those five principles, that five-fold process, but I want you to memorize it so you can share it with somebody else. I'm just going to rattle them off, and then we're going to keep going over it so that when you walk out, you've got it down. Ready? Here it is. Revelation, inspiration, transmission, translation, transformation. 
Okay? Now let's start that over again. Say it out loud with me. Revelation, inspiration, transmission, translation, transformation. Now to memorize it, this is what I do. I look at the first letter of each word, and it's R-I-T-T-T. R-I-T-T-T. So let's, uh, let's see if I can, we can do this out loud now. The R stands for? The I stands for? The first T stands for? And don't put, they're not putting them up, right? They're not putting it up. Are they putting it up before you say it? There you are? Okay, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. All right, and the fifth one is? Now you can put it up. All right, now, let's see if you can say it without anything up. Ready? Revelation, inspiration, transmission, translation, transformation. Let's start with revelation. Okay, what does revelation mean? It means that God makes himself known. Write that down. God makes himself known. God is revealing Revelation, revealing himself to us. We are told in scripture that God reveals himself to us through two methods. The first one is called general revelation. General revelation. We are told that God reveals himself and truth to us through his creation and through our conscience. Through creation externally and through our conscience internally. Let's take a look at creation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I have a, a neighbor from San Antonio who is an astrophysicist. His full-time job is to look for life on other planets. Man, he looks globally. And he said to me one day that his daughter is a geneticist, and she studies things that we cannot see with the human eye. And he said to me, Randy, there's no way you can see what we have seen and not believe in God. There's no way. God had me at the sunrise. Yeah, there's no way a Kansas sunrise is an accident. Can I get an amen? amen? But God also speaks internally through our conscience. Whether you're a believer in him or not, God has given us an inner sense of right and wrong. If you turn the page to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul goes on to say, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. That's oh, amazing. They don't have God's word, but they have this moral sense of what is right and what is wrong. God wrote it on our hearts. And because of this general revelation, what Paul is telling us is that there's not a single person who is going to face God at the end of their life and say, I just didn't have any idea that you existed. The scripture says, you will be without excuse. So the first type of revelation is general. The second type is special revelation. This is where God reveals himself to a special person for a specific purpose. In the scriptures, several types of 
special revelation are dreams. God speaks through dreams like he did with Joseph and Daniel of the Old Testament. He speaks through angels like he did with Mary to tell her that she was going to give birth to God. And also through the prophets we see in the Old Testament. Exodus, in the book of Exodus, we're told that the children of Israel were led by a cloud by day and fire by night where God was revealing the direction he wanted them to go to specifically for them. It is special revelation from which we get the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are 66 total books, 66 total books written by 35 different authors, okay, over a period of 1,500 years. They wrote it on three different continents in three different languages. It is these 35 people over 1,500 years that God reveals himself specially or specifically to giving us what we call the word of God. So that is step one. Step one is? Step one is? Step two is? Inspiration. What is inspiration? Inspiration is through special revelation, God moves individuals to write down his word. God is moving specific individuals, in this case 35, to write down his word. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. That's the word inspiration. The word inspired in the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament is written in, is a compound word, theonoustos. Say theonoustos. You can impress people with this at the water cooler tomorrow. Theo means God, theology, study of God, theo. Noustos means breath. And so the literal translation is all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. When we refer to the Holy Spirit, the word is pneuma, noustos, the Holy Spirit or the breath of God. In the Old Testament, the equivalent word to pneuma in the Hebrew is the word ruach. Say ruach. Ruach. It is the word we find in the first pages of the book of Genesis where God takes some dust, some dirt, and he forms it into a man called Adam. At this point, Adam is nothing more than a dirt bag. (laughs) But then God, Ruach, God breathes life into the nostrils of Adam and he comes to life. That's what is happening here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. That same breath, pneuma is being breathed into these words so that Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us it's not any old book, it is alive. As a matter of fact, if you could ever quiet your soul long enough and be in the same room, you could almost hear it breathing. It's alive. And it wants to tell you something. In the Old Testament, uh, it is written in two primary languages, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. We're going to put up an example from Psalm chapter 1 and 2. That's Psalm 1 and 2. In the Hebrew, it reads from the right and to the left. And then we have uh, uh, in the New Testament is the Greek language. That's an example out of Romans chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read to you verse 1. Palos, doulos, Christu, Christu, Iesu, Kalatos, Apostolos, Aphorismenes, as in Ungalian, Theu. 
my major was Greek, and I never get a chance to show it off. Uh, it means Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle to be separated into the gospel of God. Those are the languages that the scriptures are written into. And Peter tells us that this process whereby God inspired them or breathed into their pen, this is what he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. We also have the prophetic message, he writes, as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Numa, by the Holy Spirit. So what is Peter telling us here? Three things. Number one, he's telling us that the scriptures are completely reliable. Number two, he is telling us that we should pay very careful attention to the scriptures because they will be able to lead us in a dark world until Jesus returns the bright and morning star. The psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the third thing he's telling us is that these 35 writers didn't make this stuff up, but rather they wrote what God wanted them to write. So the first step in how the Bible came to us is? The second step is? The third step is? Transmission. Now, you gearheads, we are not talking about cars, okay? We are talking about this. Write this down. God's word is copied. Now, this is going to get a little bit more like university here, so I want you to pay careful attention. I did an average job in the first service. So here we go. We do not have any of the original autographs of Scripture, meaning we don't have any of the original uh, letters that were written. We do not have the original letter that Paul wrote in the book of Romans. What we have are copies. So the question is, how reliable are the copies? That's a really important question. How many of you remember when you were in elementary school playing the whisper game? Anybody remember the whisper game? In elementary school, you would sit in a circle, maybe there were 20 of you, and the teacher gave you a sentence, and you would whisper it into the ears of the person to the left of you, and they whispered into the next person's ear until you get to the end to find out if the person at the end of the line was able to recite the same sentence you gave them, and it never works. Because human error is a real thing. So the question is, how likely is it that we have the word of God given the reality of the whisper game? Well, there's some things I want to share with you that will give you some confidence. Matter of fact, three things that I want to share with you about uh, how this will give you confidence in God's word. And what I want to do, I'm going to do the best job I can to explain this. I should have a whiteboard. Um, I'm going to compare the Bible to an ancient book that is the best example of ancient literature that we have. So I'm comparing the veracity of the Bible to the best book of antiquity. And that book is Homer's Iliad. Does anybody remember reading this in high school? 
or college? Anybody? Not a single one of you, right? How many of you are like, I was supposed to read it, but I never got through it? Yeah, right? That's exactly right. So this is the best this is the best book we have to compare the New Testament to. I'm going to give you three words. The first word is quantity, quantity. How many copies of the New Testament do we have versus how many copies of the Iliad do we have? We have 24,000 copies of the New Testament from which to derive from, but only 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. Does that make sense? So we've got a lot of copies to draw from. The second word is distance. Now this is one that I have a hard time explaining. What is the distance from the original document to the latest, uh, the, the earliest copy we have? Am I making sense? What is the distance from the original copy of the book of Romans or a chapter out of the Iliad to the earliest copy we have? In the New Testament, it's less than 100 years old, which seems like a lot of time to me, but with the uh, Homer's Iliad, it is 500 years old, the distance between the original and the copy, all right? Matter of fact, a guy named F.F. Bruce, a scholar, writes, there is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. One more word is the word accuracy. When you look at the scriptures, uh, there is only debate amongst these 24,000 copies of 400 words. 400 words that are in doubt as to their original penning, leaving us with a 99.9% accuracy for the New Testament. And none of these 400 words are of any substance as it relates to our beliefs. A guy named B.B. Warfield from Princeton University, a.k.a. a smart dude, writes this about the New Testament. If we compare the present state of the New Testament text with that of any other ancient writing, we must declare it to be marvelously correct. Such has been the care with which the New Testament has been copied, a care which has doubtless grown out of the true reverence for its holy words. Such has been the providence of God in preserving for his church in each and every age a competently exact text of Scripture that not only is the, New, is, is the New Testament unrivaled amongst ancient writings in the purity of its text and actually transmitted and kept in use, but also in the abundance of testimony which has come down to us for castigating its comparatively infrequent blemishes. In a word, the New Testament is awesome. I was struck when I studied uh, in seminary, the history of the families who took it upon themselves to copy the Word of God from one copy to the next. And one of the things that they did in community is they would take a page of Scripture that was a copy, and their job was to make another copy. They would identify in community the middle word of the page they were copying from, and when they took the time painstakingly to copy their copy of the copy, the community would find the center word of their page to see if it matched up with the one they were copying from. And it would take them three months to make this copy. And if it weren't the same middle word, they would discard it. That's how much reverence there were for the work they were doing. They knew that they were transmitting the very word of God. Now, I can go on and on. You can get an entire degree on what I'm talking to you about. I've got like 30 minutes to, to just drop all this on you, right? So stay with me. Okay, I'm going to give you one more piece of evidence, okay? Uh, this time from the 
Old Testament. We've been talking about the New Testament, now the Old Testament. In 1946, there was a Bedouin shepherd who was out playing in a place called Qumran down by the Dead Sea, just south of Jerusalem. And he was throwing rocks into a cave, and he heard some sound, and he went in, and he found these clay pots, and inside of the clay pots were ancient scrolls, mostly filled with Scripture. Now, here's a picture of the cave, uh, that, a picture that we took with a group of people that went with me to Israel this last year. We were standing in Qumran by the Dead Sea, and that, that hole up there to the top left is the cave that the Bedouin shepherd was throwing the rocks into. Now, this finding of this Bedouin shepherd is the most amazing thing. Of particular interest is that they found a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. We're going to show you a picture of it. You can actually go see this in Israel. We saw it. Uh, this is the complete scroll of the entire book of Isaiah. Okay? It's intact. But here's the kicker. Okay? The earliest copy we had before this finding is a thousand years older than this one. Am I making sense? So the copy that we have developed the book of Isaiah from before 1946 is a thousand years older than this one. This one's a thousand years closer to the original penning of Isaiah. And here's the deal. The copy that they found here in the Dead Sea is identical to the copy a thousand years later. What's the deal? When God is involved in the whisper game, it takes out human error because God wants us to have his truth. Amen? So step one is, uh, of how we got our Bible is? The second step is? The third step is? The next step is? Translation. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to say a few words about translation. Translation is God's word in other languages. Just as a point of interest, the very first translation out of one language into the next of God's word is the translation of the Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic into the Greek, which is the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the life and times of Jesus. And that translation is called the Septuagint, referring to 70 individuals who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew and Aramaic into the Greek. But here's something more modern for you. There is roughly 7,350 languages known today in our world that cover the 7.2 billion people alive. To date, there are 3,324 translations of all or part of the scripture uh, into these 3,324 languages, which reaches 5.6 billion of the 7.2 billion people alive, leaving us, if you do the math, with 4,026 languages remaining for people who do not have the word of God in their own heart language. But it represents only 1.6 billion people uh, because the remaining languages are within smaller tribal groups of people who are predominantly illiterate. And the church has gathered together like never before to, ha uh, to and have set a goal that every language remaining, everybody will have at least part of the word of God 
in their own heart language by the year 2033 or 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into the heavens. And I want you to know, through your mutual generosity, Westside is involved in that process. Two years ago, we finished an uh, audio uh, translation, an audio recording uh, of a language for a group of people who speak pry in a remote area of Thailand that we serve. We could have given them a written book, but they don't read. And so we gave them an audio version of it and put it on a thing called a proclaimer and we sent it over to them and literally they gathered together every day to hear the word of God because we are passionate at Westside to make sure everybody has the truth of God's special revelation in their own heart language. Come on, give me an amen for that. That's pretty good. Now, that's right. That's good. Okay, let's go. Okay, first step is? Second? Third? Next one? And the final one is uh, transformation. This means God's word in us. God's word in us. The purpose of digesting the special revelation of God's word that has been given to us is not to make us smarter, although it'll make you intensely smarter. The goal is that it might transform us from the inside out to look more and more like Jesus. Let's take a look at the rest of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is theonoustos, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, here's the purpose, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The goal is transformation. In the words of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the scriptures is a living book. It is an active book. And it is designed, if you let it, to get under your skin and challenge you to be conformed into the image of Christ to live out the best possible life for you. Now, you have heard us proclaim this research over and over again. I stated to you again, research shows that the number one catalyst for spiritual growth is Bible engagement with no close second. The number one thing you can do to catalyze you to the next step in your spiritual journey is to engage the living word of God. And if you're new, uh, Westside is super serious about that. As a matter of fact, for this series, we want to encourage you to engage into a reading or listening uh, program. And so we're going to put our church number up on the screen. And uh, you can either take a picture of the QR code there or text God's Word to our church number, which you need to put in your phone. And we will send you, starting tomorrow, just a Bible engagement, Bible reading and listening program. So you can do that now. Uh, you can do it later. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Okay, if someone asks you, do you know where the Bible came from? You now know. Let's give them the five-fold process. Ready? First step is? Revelation. Revelation. God makes himself known. The second step is? Inspiration. Inspiration. God moves people to write his word. The third step is? Transmission. Transmission. God's word is copy. The next one is? God's word in other language. Finally, transformation, God's word in us. The process of how we got our Bible is nothing short of a miracle, particularly when you consider 
all of the people over the centuries who've tried to destroy it. Isn't that amazing? All the people who've tried to destroy it, and yet the prophet Isaiah tells us why they were not successful. The grass withers, the prophet speaks, from the breath of God, and the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. I just make the point, all of the empires that have tried to destroy the word of God and have tried to destroy the church, all of those empires are gone. They're gone. But what remains is God's word and God's church. Why? Because God said it would be so. And whatever God says to be so is what happens, not only in the world, but the promise for your very life. And there are going to be people who will try to undermine the veracity of the Bible in your life, particularly I think of our students in high school, in university. They're going to be people who act like they're smart. They wear Harry Potter glasses like I do and, and try to make themselves sound. And they're going to give you good information that will make you uncomfortable. And, but I'm here to tell you with the highest degree of intellectual integrity that the Bible is the word of God. And therefore, you should give it authority over your life in all areas. Whether you understand it fully and whether you like it or not. Because the God behind this Bible deeply, deeply loves you and wants to take you down the path for your best life. And if you trust him, he will take you there. So as we head into a time of worship, I want you to make a declaration as to where you are currently at. And I'm going to give you three choices. And during the worship, there are tables uh, throughout the auditorium here, as well as in the South Sanctuary and at our Speedway campus. And uh, during the worship, I want you to move, want you to move and go to one of the tables. And there are three choices. The first card is called My Way. It's like, nope, I'm not in. I'm going to continue to maintain authority over my life and do it my way, not buying it. And that's okay. I know there are some of you in here. I've seen your life. The evidence is you're not really in on the word of God, man. And so just be honest about it. This is goal is not for you to pick the last one please the pastor. I'm not even going to be watching you, okay? Pick between you and God where you're currently at. If you don't have confidence that the Bible is the word of God, then pick this card. The second one is called buffet. This is the Christian who says, no, I do like church and I do like the Bible, but I want to maintain authority over my life and I'll pick and choose the ones that I like. That's where the most of us are at, folks. So we're looking to replenish the buffet card the most in this church, okay? So unless otherwise noted, you should probably pick up the buffet card, okay? But there is one more. It's, I'm somewhere between the two. Aspirationally, I want to be here, but evidence shows that sometimes I'm here. The last one is all in. Basically says, that's it. I believe the Bible is the word of God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust it even when I don't understand it, even when the culture's going in a different way, and even when I don't like it. Oh, if that's where you're at, pick this last card. Take it back to your seat. There's some scripture on it. You can read it. Just sort of engage in this worship in a very personal, personal way. Amen. Standing to your feet. God, I just ask you now for your ruach, for your pneuma to be free, not only in this place, but in the South Sanctuary Speedway, in every home that is listening to this talk today. I pray 
that you would speak to us and uh, as we worship you in Jesus' name.